You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Police box. What on earth is he doing here? Well, these things are usually on the street. I feel it. I feel it. You feel it? It's a faint vibration. It's alive. Earth Station Who? A fun mashup celebrating nearly 50 years of Doctor Who universe. Hold tight. You never know where the TARDIS is going next. Who are you? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that again. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Now please, get off this planet while you still have a choice. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Earth Station Who. That's right folks, we are so stuck in the middle of the dead zone for Doctor Who right now. So we are trying to grasp and find different things to talk about over, you know, we have 55 years worth of information to talk about. So it's not so pathetic and such to, you know, just say we're grasping at straws or going from, you know, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? So we got some great stuff to go for. And, you know, at least we're done with e-space and we don't have to go back to that ever again. Yay. Unless we want to talk about Warriors Gate some more. You know, we can always do that. Warriors Gate. <laughs> no, 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 no. So we are going to be talking about the first Doctor story, The War Machines. And we got a great crew to talk all about that one. And joining us once again is our friend, Anthony Williams. Welcome, sir. Good evening. And, you know, it's funny because certain doctors... I think of for you more than others, but partly I brought you on the show tonight because you have a brand new podcast to promote. I do. Um, so it's called Watches in the Fourth Dimension. Uh, we can be found on most podcasting apps. Uh, there are four of us who are watching through Doctor Who in order. At the time of uh, recording this uh, tonight, we have released episodes through to uh the keys of marinus i believe and we've recorded up to uh the uh dalek invasion of earth so there's a lot more to come so oh you definitely have and it's awesome because you also have a friend of the show julie Philippic is on with you yes she is and uh it's her first time watching through classic doctor who so her perspective is wonderful that is awesome what is you know how far did you go back? Because I know you started later and then you went back to watch the old series, didn't you? No, well, so I grew up on on Classic Who. So um, I was born in the mid-80s. I wasn't quite old enough to see anything on its original run. But um, in the early 90s, my, my dad, who'd been a child in 1963 and watched the Hartnell and Troughton eras as they went out, brought home a couple of VHS tapes. And I was, I was hooked. Uh, I think he originally brought in brought home uh the mind robber the time warrior and the ark in space so i grew up on classic who and by the time rose ed in 2005 i had seen most of it but not quite all of it oh wow so you you were a scholar already oh, yeah. by the time the new series started 100 percent. i've been a huge doctor who nerd my entire life 
That is awesome. And you love dressing up as the seventh doctor. I do. Yep. I think that's how I first met you. I think you were kind of inebriated, but I do remember you dressed up as the seventh doctor. I mean, even if I wasn't dressed up as the seventh doctor, the chances of me being inebriated as a con are pretty high. Yeah, I know. Trust me, we've done the panels that way. It's great to have you on the show, though, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. It's great to be back. Thank you, Mike. And, of course, we have our regulars. Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy. And Ms. Mary Ogle. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. So let's jump in with both feet since there really isn't any new Doctor Who news going on you know we're not going to talk about rumors we're not going to talk about you know oh reports from the set blah 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 because yeah they are filming the next season of doctor who right now but do you guys really want to waste the time to talk about that i'd rather you know wait till they have a preview or you know definite you know in you know concrete news and such so i'm that's just my feelings i hope you guys are okay with that at home and also you guys on the show well, I think the war machines is more interesting anyway. Well, okay. <laughs> Wait, the war machines was new to me. That was new Doctor Who for me. That's true. Me too, actually. So let's, you know, we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. So please write us at eswpodcast at gmail.com. I think we need to come up with a new email address for the show. I think we might eventually come up with an Earth Station Who address but you know that'll become eventually we also you know want to thank everybody who did come out to see us last weekend at south carolina comic-con we didn't do per se a doctor who panel but we talked about podcasting and we also talked about a lot of different you know events that we do and we've actually interviewed uh kevin eastman and that episode of earth station one will be out by the time this goes live so definitely give it a listen. And we also got to talk to wrestling legend Mick Foley. And we just had a blast. And we talked to a lot of Doctor Who fans at the con. A lot of great is, Doctor Who cosplay. Oh, yeah. A lot of Jody actually. A lot mm -hmm. of, especially young girls dressed as the 13th Doctor. Which they did is have really a, nice. a TARDIS that, uh, for photo ops. Yes, they did. And, you know, it was actually a lot of fun. There was somebody, there was a couple Daleks we did see at the show. And it was just always nice to see people bringing the Doctor Who love to a con. And so, you know, bravo to everybody. So definitely, you know, if you ever get a chance, South Carolina Comic Con 2020 has already been announced. So for the dates at the end of March 2020 is now up on the website. You go to South Carolina Comic Con or SC Comic Con and check it out. Definitely worth going if you're on the East Coast, if you're in the South somewhere. It's not a far drive to Greenville and worth, you know, all the joy of it. And hopefully next year we actually might even have a Doctor Who panel. So yeah, the um, I know that uh, the the organizers, um, you know, Robert is a big fan of Doctor Who. In fact, they always do a really good have a really good turnout for Doctor Who Comic Day uh, at their store. So um, and they have quite a few Doctor Who comics and merchandise in in their store. So if you are ever in the uh, Greenville, South Carolina area, I definitely strongly recommend recommend going checking out Borderlands. Exactly, and that can be definitely found up on the web too. So. And he's not even sponsoring us anymore. No, he isn't. <laughs> and we still love him and we still talk about him all the time. Absolutely. 
<sighs> I guess we have to work on him to get us as a sponsor again. Ah, I guess we have to talk about War Machines now. All right, let's jump in with both feet. We are going back to June 25th, 1966, and we are looking at the four-parter of the War Machines. And this was actually one of them that had been lost at one point, that a few of the episodes were no, were erased and that they were able to get in from different collectors and different finders and people who've been searching for the stories. They actually found copies of the story. Yeah, it's interesting. They co- kind of cobbled it together for the DVD because they had, they didn't have uh, nothing was complete, but they had enough of different sources that they could put it all together. Exactly, and you could tell in certain parts, especially on the DVD, where it was pieced together because the audio might not be that great. Or how did that person get to this point or something? Magic. Exactly. There was a couple points where where ben was like how did he get there you know type thing ben is a very fast runner yes (laughs) well when you you know here's a question to going out to all of you guys you know this took place in 1966 at that time it was current time and the mail tower was new correct anthony correct and so they were you know trying to get, you know, everything ready for, you know, announcing the big announcement of this. This was at the time, the largest tower in, I think the UK. So. Yeah. And I think it would be, it would remain so, I think until the 1980s when they put up the Nat West tower in, in the city of London. So probably for 20 years. Oh, wow. So, and it's very striking. It is a very striking looking building, especially because it has those like, microwave towers underneath the observation decks and what's what's pretty cool about it so i um i did my ma at university college london which is in the same part of london as uh what was the post office tower and is now the bt tower and it's they've changed it with the time so now it's got led screens all around the top that you know change with different advertisements for bt and, and related brands so it's, it's oh wow still around still going strong it's just been modified a bit and I, I watched the extras and it was, it's not open to the public anymore. No, there was some, I, I believe there was a bomb threat. Um, possibly even they managed to defuse a bomb before it went off in, there was like a revolving restaurant, kind of like um, Polaris in Atlanta or the sundial. Um, but someone tried to bomb it. So they shut it down basically. Oh, Wow. I uh, I actually am um, uh, quite familiar with this tower as well. When I did my internship at the uh, British Film Institute, um, it was right along the line in the area of the tower. So I saw this every day. So didn't go in it, but uh, it was always there kind of looming. <laughs> and that's, that's what it kind of does. It just kind of looms over that, that area of London. And Mike, you, you might be familiar with this. I, I don't know if you were a Doctor Who fan back then, but it's very close to the famous Fitzroy Tavern in London, which is where in the late 90s and early 2000s in the wilderness years, the, the, the great and the good 
of uh, Docs 2 fandom used to get together there on, on I think, the first Thursday of the month and, and get wasted. Oh, I used to hear tales of the Fitzroy Tavern. Yeah. Um, and I've, you know, fellow podcasters who actually shows I used to listen to before I started Earth Station One used to, you know, some of them actually did stories, episodes from there. And it's like, so it's, it's almost a place of legend. I went a few times in, in the mid two thousands and it was always a good time. The time that I was actually in London, um, that I spent in London, which was, uh, around, uh, 89, 1989. Uh, I was well out of, uh, Dr. Who actually. So, um, I, I, I only can imagine, what my trip would have been like uh, my time over there had I uh, fully embraced a, a, a Doctor Who fan fully embraced at that time. But uh, nope, I wasn't. I had a lot of other things going on at that time. So, Gotcha. No, it totally makes sense. I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, different things that, you know, have Doctor Who ties all through that area. Cause you know, look at even new series, like the whole Canary Wharf stuff. And, you know, items like that is all Doctor Who at its best. But, you know, Doctor Who, you know, is the iconic scene of the Cybermen walking down in front of the, the was it the Capitol there? Or St. What? St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing, you know, what you, you know, how much of London is in it. And now, you know, of course, in new series, especially the early years of the new series, things that were supposed to be London was actually Cardiff, but we're not saying that it's okay. It really doesn't surprise me though, that, uh, you know, a series based in London going on for, you know, 50 plus years would at some point say, Hey, let's use this iconic structure as for like an alien menace. <laughs> so I, uh, I think it's like perfectly set up for, for that. I don't know that I don't know that War Machines was the perfect story for it, but I do think that it was the perfect. Like, actually, I'm not surprised that it was used because it's it's sort of a no brainer. It's like, hey, let's look use this tower for something. Well, it's interesting because you know technically this was all an Earthbound story, and you had new companions join Team Tardis. Yeah, and you had one go a, away. There's kind of a. Um, it's never fully developed, but there is sort of an alien influence here, but we never really get too many details on it. Where are you getting the alien influence? No, you don't. And you, well, it's all, technically it's all man-made. Well, but, but, but the, yeah, the first doctor says uh, yeah. there's something wrong here. This, this technology is too advanced for this time period. I know, but they and never, never, they really never extended ex on it at all. Right. They never expand like where it comes from. It's just there. Like almost the guy who's leading it, the professor seems to just say, yeah, I just like, it showed up here. Like, I just like, <laughs> like he doesn't really go into deep. He doesn't even seem to know exactly how it works. Um, so there's that sort of element, that idea that it, that it was, that was at least assisted in some ways by something else. But yeah, that's kind of dropped after the first episode, but I, I did think that's where they were going. And I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I thought there'd be some like, you know, re big reveal that some alien was going to be uh, behind this, some race or something, but it never turned out to be. 
Well, you know, as you said it, we were, we were talking offline yesterday. This is, you know, the BBC not <laughs> yeah. wanting to pay Terry Nation. Pretty much. <laughs> it really, it really felt like they were like, hmm, we're tired of paying Terry. Yeah, we, we are, we're tired of, hey, how hard can it be? We can come up with our own dollars, yeah, can't we? Can't. <laughs> um, no. Don't do that. Not the first time they've tried that's, and won't be the last. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, right. No, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, I mean, uh... <laughs> Terry just sat back and went yeah, like, not I mean, so easy. Even the production it? values let him down on this one. I mean, those those uh, so-called war machines are not menacing at all. They're boxy. They're clumsy. They They really look like Daleks who didn't quite make the grade. They are very good at that uh, at knocking down produce boxes. They they do that a lot. Well, you could say they put the hammer down on them. If, um, if you're a box of produce, look out! This is your arch enemy. But, this is your worst nightmare. Yeah, it's more like the grocery machines. I mean, it's just so <laughs> despite that, you know, I think this story is. Hey, it's a story I really love and always have. Uh, it's probably my second favorite Hart and Lyra story. But equally, I think it's just so important in the development of the show. You kind of watch this one and you see elements that will start being brought out more in the Troughton era when, when you start getting the development of units. And then you see something more like this uh, fully formed when you get to the Pertwee era when it's a lot more earthbound and you've got the military and you've got a lot more kind of home developed threats. I think this story is incredibly important. I did feel that also. I felt this was like a precursor for any of the unit stories. That yeah, I felt that too. Oh yeah, like, I, and, I totally agree with you that there's a. This is almost like a turning point in this. And is is Sir Charles like he's in more than one of these, right? No, this is the only one. Why does it feel like he's so familiar to me? Like oh, it just seems like I maybe an archetype that we've. Seen. It could be. Okay. It could be because I'm just thinking that the doctor has always had like some like like some friend that was high up in the government that you know that that helped him out prior to or other than unit. Yeah, he almost, he seems like a proto brigadier in a way. A little bit, yeah. I could definitely see that. And I love how accepted the Doctor was right away, and it felt more like newer Doctor Who for, from here, that, you know, the Doctor automatically is, oh, you're the Doctor, we were expecting you, you know, that type of thing. Or, you know, and it just felt very, very, you know, familiar. And, folks, for a little bit of trivia, this is the only time he's been referred to as Doctor Who. Is this the only time? Yeah. Hmm. That's the other reason that I thought that the uh that Wotan was uh had some alien influence because he it seemed he seemed to know who the doctor was. Well he knew and he was like I need was right away. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay, he's got like yeah. Because even the doctor's like, how would he know that? And it's a good question. It's never followed up on. Yeah, and it was just because Wotan was the only th- creature in the whole history that had referred to the Doctor as Doctor Who. And at first I thought it was the Doctor Who is, you know, something like that. <laughs> I thought so too. 
but no, it kept on referring to as Doctor Who. And it was just mm-hmm. like, because originally Why? in the credits, it said Doctor Who. And later yeah. it became just the Doctor. I think it said Doctor, didn't it say Doctor Who for a while? Like even into the Tom years? Yeah, I, I, think, think, so. I think it wasn't until, I want to say season 18, when it changed okay. from Doctor Who to the Doctor. And a little uh, tidbit on that. Uh, most of the Doctor Who stories, right up until I think sometime in the Pertwee era, were actually scripted as uh, Doctor Who and. So this one, the script would have read Doctor Who and the War Machines. Mm, and exactly. And that's why when you get to the Silurians, where you have a new director who didn't really know the ins and outs and, and the uh, nuances of it, misunderstood the intention and actually put Doctor Who and the Silurians as the broadcast titles. Mm-hmm. Well, back then also, I know with the first Doctor, each episode had its own storyline title too. Uh, by this stage, they've got past that. So this was episode one, two, three, and four. Right. Um, but yes, certainly earlier. I guess I just feel like it because, you know, actors like Tom would always refer to themselves as like, when I played Doctor Who, like he would always refer to himself as Doctor Who. Um, so maybe that's why I just attributed. I thought that's what he was credited as. But And of course, we do get Missy uh, calling him Doctor Who at one point as well in the Capaldi era. Mm. True. Very true. But it was it was really interesting. But yeah, this had it just felt. This whole storyline, it you know, there was some jumble, and you literally had a companion leave halfway through this, the episodes. Yeah. And Poor that's Dodo. Jarring. That's jarring. I mean, just her contract ran out. Yeah. She's, she's certainly yeah. not there anymore, and she's mentioned very briefly at the end. Oh, yes. Yeah, she decided to stay in London and wishes you much love. <laughs> I was like, what? She didn't run off with a Time Lord or she didn't, you know, get dropped off in the wrong town or the wrong era or. This is uh, this is my introduction to Dodo. <laughs> I had not I'd not seen anything with Dodo before. You're not missing Hello? much. <laughs> I didn't I really didn't. I didn't feel like I needed. Yeah, she's, just, she's kind of a Susan surrogate and not a very good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at first when it opened, I was like, "Is that Susan?" Like it would the the you know I, I I don't know maybe I was tired, but I had to kind of squint and go, "Oh no, that's not." No, because it was for for a while it was Dodo and Stephen. Yeah, and Stephen and... left in the serial immediately before this, the Savages. Exactly, but shortly once I you know as they in the first episode once they introduced Polly, I'm like, "Oh, I know Polly." Mm-hmm. And then, then Ben shows up at the bar and I'm like, okay, I know where we're going here. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of the end for the first doctor. And apparently, I don't know if this has changed, but apparently for the longest time, this was the only surviving serial with the two of them. Complete. Yes. That, that, the complete. The yes. Complete right. one. Yeah. 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 So obviously. Yeah. Cause I know I've seen them before, but not in a complete story. Mm-mm. You've, you know, and, you know, because Ben and Polly go all the way into the second Doctor's era, even after Jamie joins the crew. And so, because they leave when Victoria joins. And so, right from the beginning, though, Ben is a man of action. He's a, you know, Navy guy. And I 
he was quite good in this. I actually enjoyed him. I love Ben because you, you think about the male companions that you've had before, which has really only been Ian and Stephen, and they're kind of a bit posh. They're you know very well put together, and then suddenly you get Ben with his South London accent. He'll knock you out. I love it. <laughs> Come on, Doc. What's going on? You know, and I'm not going to try to do the accent. Don't worry. Don't worry, folks. But yeah, and I just love it. And right from the beginning, kept on calling Polly Duchess, which you're from, I was familiar from reading the different books and, you know, all of hearing the audios of the yeah, stories. Polly should have hauled off and smacked him. <laughs> oh, multiple times. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. If you're coming from a woman's point of view, there's a lot of 60s sexism. Mm -hmm. And I love how nobody was drinking at the 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 discotheque or the bar, the Inferno. It was all soda pop. And it was just like, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean. This is a family show. Of course. And kind of surreal seeing the doctor in a bar. You know. (laughs) Yeah, that that was uh, a weird, (laughs) weird moment. That was. I love how the bartender was like, "Hey, all right." He looks like that DJ, do- who is unfortunately she's referring to Jimmy Savile, who is not so well thought of these days. Oh yes, yes, yes! I know who you're talking about. So uh, that's a little unfortunate, but no one knew at the time. Mm-hmm. It was. Think, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Mary. I I think. This, I think this story suffers from being so date, dated. Um, and it, it's sometimes hard to get around that. And I, I will say that the first, the first two parts of it I found pretty entertaining, but it dragged in parts three and four. Um, there was a lot of filler and a lot of running back and forth and a lot of produce boxes getting knocked over. And I did love though when the doctor stood up to the war machine. Oh, that was a great moment. That's oh, that's my that, favorite moment. That was a great moment. Like, oh, that was goosebumps. Everybody, even the military, like backs away, mm-hmm. and he steps forward. I was just like, "Damn!" Like that was this is awesome. That was his doctor <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah, that was that was William Hartnell's doctor moment. And Billy was just so good at those. It's like in um in the Dalek invasion of Earth when he first stands up to the Dalek and says. I must defeat them. You know, he is so good at those moments. And I wish there were more of those in his era. Yeah, it happens at the, it happens what, at the end of the first, no, the end of the second one, right? And then they come back and then uh, it's kind of reshot in a way. And then it's never really explained. Well, it is kind of explained how the, what he did to the machine, but it's kind of a little anticlimactic. But the, just the, it doesn't ruin the moment for me. No, it it was just like he stood there, and it's like he just stood up to it, and the machine was just like. <gasps> and the only thing that was missing was a Sonic. Like if he had had a Sonic in his hand and just been like, <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> this far and no farther. Like I would have been like, whoa, here we go. Ooh, we're still two years away from that though. Yeah, we hadn't quite got there. I know. I know. So that's that's what made it even more of a ballsy move because he's like, I don't even need a Sonic. I'm just gonna like approach this thing. Mm-hmm. William and... Hartnell is quite good in this throughout the whole thing. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah very much you, so. You know, I mean, this is towards like this is getting towards the end of his run, 
And, you know, I, I've heard stories about how and even seen stories where he just kind of is incoherent or kind of, you know, messing around with his lines or whatever. But he seems really sharp in this one. Yeah, I mean, at, by this point, he was very unhappy in the role. Um, you know, everyone, gotcha. everyone he liked had left. Um, the previous producer and script editor, John Wiles and Donald Tosh, had tried to force him out um, and failed. And they lost their jobs over that. Um, so generally, he's 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 very much on the way out here. And I, I think in these last few stories, he is giving the best performances of his entire run. I think that behind the scenes tension is really spurring him on here. Anthony, let me ask you this, because I, I was this occurred to me, too, because the, it seems like the first doctor during his tenure has more companions than like any other doctor after him. And I just wonder why was the reason for the all the turnaround? Did they did they not like working on the show? Did the BBC kind of go, oh, you're replaceable and just kept like replacing other people? Or why was there so many companions during his run? Bit of column A, bit of column B. Um, so Caroline Ford, who played Susan, A, they wanted a ch- the behind the scenes folks. So Verity Lambert and uh, David Whitaker wanted to change. They felt she wasn't really working in the role. And equally, she felt, Caroline Ford felt that her character wasn't being developed as it should. So they kind of mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, When Ian and Barbara, so when they left, that was, um, I believe, because the actors just felt it was time. Uh, Maureen O'Brien, who played Vicky, was forced out. She had expressed dislike at some of the scripts and, and Donald Tosh and John Wiles said, right, you're out. Um, and they actually had planned, I, I, I have some spoilers for the Dalek master plan. Uh, there's a companion who gets flushed out of an airlock in that story. That was originally intended to be Vicky. Hmm. Um, but they brought her exit forward and, and she was just married off instead. But um, in general, it's a mix of things as to why there's so much companion turnover in the Heart and era. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to keep them straight. And uh, something I, I can't even, I haven't seen nearly all of them. I, I've never seen Steven and uh, the companions in between. Uh, oh, don't worry, Mike, we'll get to the gunfighters. I promise. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you still have to hear the song. <laughs> but, uh, don't, don't let that know. be Mike's uh, introduction to Steven, please. <laughs> Let's start but, with the time uh, meddler or something. I'm kind of sad because I'm I'm a Jean Marsh fan and I've never actually seen, I don't know, does any of her stuff exist? I think one of the episodes she's in from one or two of the 12 part story she's in still exist. I love her name, her companion name, Sarah Kingdom. I just think that's awesome. Oh, and she uh, does not have a very pleasant time. No, no, no. I know. I already, yeah, I know what happens to her character, but um, uh, at least, I mean, I, I know, uh, like I've read a little bit of what happens to her character, but I don't know specifics, but I mean, I know that like, but yeah. So like, I'm just saying, I, there's, there's a lot like, you know, um, that I've seen listed as companions for the first doctor. And I'm like, I don't even know half these people. <laughs> That's just crazy. So, so yes, I'm glad we don't, I, you know, I think we do like a one, I think we do a first doctor store. Like it seems like once a year, which doesn't seem like near enough because there's a lot of stuff, even though there's a lot of stuff that doesn't exist anymore. There's still a lot of stuff that is there that we haven't, that we haven't covered on the show yet. 
No, we haven't. And, you know, if you want, we could do more. We can definitely do more. But, you know, that's why shows like what Anthony is doing is great for listeners and, you know, viewers and such of Doctor Who and fans of Doctor Who because they're going right in order. So it's pretty awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, I definitely think... You know, the stories weren't bad. You know, the zombie humans were like, eh. I did like how the doctor fought against Wotan and, you know, wasn't hypnotized from the foot through the phone. I thought that yeah, was. Yeah, I would imagine well. that that's due to his time lordedness. Oh, of course. But he wasn't a <laughs> time. They didn't know what he was at the time. But I, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Even though they hadn't established that for him, but, but yet just because he's different, you know, like everybody else was succumbed pretty quickly. But uh, he could fight it off because yeah. he's... Well, he, he's still the smartest man in the room. <laughs> you know. Yes, yes. And that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty obvious. I mean, they they determined from the sto- first story that he's from another time, another world. So he's not human, but to the point that's already been made, we just don't know what he is yet. Exactly. Because they, you know, they were looking at this time already options on were they going to end Doctor Who when Hart Williams portion was up or were they going to try to replace him? And, you know, how would they do that? Well, he's alien, you know, so they were trying to figure out what to do. Must've been so exciting because in this, as a writer for Dr. Who at this point, you can do whatever you want with him. Like if you want to give him like, you know, psychic powers to lift things up or something, you could just be like, yeah, that's what he can do. <laughs> and um... like, Speaking of them trying to figure out what they were going to do, I mentioned earlier the the attempted coup to get him out uh, by John Wiles and uh, what the original plan was in in the Celestial Toymaker where he goes invisible was to bring the Doctor back as a different actor when he becomes visible again. And I'm so glad they didn't do that. But So they've been thinking about this for a while on how to replace him. No, they waited till later to, you know, when Jamie got sick uh, with measles or chicken pox or something, <laughs> they decided to take his face away. Right. And so, yeah. But then again, at the end of the second Doctor era, they didn't even know if Doctor Who was going to come back. So they were saying anybody could be Doctor Who, you know, the Doctor. Exactly. And and so they hadn't even hired the uh, actor they didn't hire john yet so that's why you didn't see a true regeneration you know it's also amazing to me too is that watching these early ones we're so used to seeing a a tardis that's pretty pristine looking this is only like the third season right and this tardis looks beat to hell (laughs) (laughs) it looks like it's about ready to fall apart Exactly. Oh, when they, the TARDIS first materialized, it's like, oh, what was the episode before that? The TARDIS must have taken a beating. And then it was like, oh, no, no, that's just how it looked back then. And I mean, it's a, it's a well-used prop. It had been used in other shows as well. So it was regularly used in Dixon of Doc Green. So just generally being pulled around. Yeah, it got pretty beaten up. I love how the doctor put the out of order sign on it. So the police wouldn't touch it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. That's actually that's a great little comedic moment. The guy the guy walks by. And it's a nice little callback because Dodo's introduction into the into Doctor Who was her running into the TARDIS because she thought it was a real police box. 
So it's coming full circle. So I loved overall, I thought this was a very enjoyable episode. I would have loved to seen what scenes were, were missed on and what was cut, you know, or lost forever. But, you know, I thought, I thought it was fun. And, you know, this is, I would almost say this is, you know, very accessible to somebody who isn't familiar with like the first doctor era. I think if somebody had watched say the third doctor, the second doctor, or even later doctor who stories, they would find this very familiar. Absolutely. So I definitely think this is a good point for that. It helps that those first two episodes are so um, snappy in their pacing as well. So they're so easy to, get into they really just kind of draw you in first two episodes you mentioned that um there's some stuff in here that's really you know that turns out to be really important as far as the doctor who mythos what what other if we haven't mentioned it already what are some of the other items that uh you picked up on not so much in terms of the mythos but in terms of the the tone of the show to come over the next i want to say 13 ish 10 10 years at this point so until the tom baker so you've got a kind of slightly faster paced contemporary setting, right? And the show hasn't really done that that much to this point. On top of that, you've got the military involvement, you've got an Earth-based threat, and the Doctor kind of getting in with the establishment. And that's really what we start to see as the Troughton era uh, goes on, and then obviously in, in very full form by the time we get to the Pertwee era. So it's just kind of setting the tone more than anything else. It reminded me, I just, I kept thinking of the Pertwee area, era. I mean, it reminded me so much of, or, or kind of foreshadowed that, that whole, the whole feel of that era, or at least when he's earthbound. Exactly. It, I mean, that's fascinating to see. I will admit, admit even though I had problems with, with the story in this episode, it, it was, as far as the history goes, it was fascinating to watch, watch these things being born. And knowing how how they carried through, and uh, you know, even till today, and it's, uh, I mean, there's still a lot. There's a lot going on in in the first Doctor era that is still part of the mythos today, and I I love that we haven't lost that. One hundred percent. Yeah, we we talk about, and one of the things we talked about with this past season of Doctor Who was how crowded the TARDIS is. But if you go back to the roots, you know, the first couple of doctors, it was not very common for the doctor to just pal around with one companion. I think when I saw him, and it really hit me in the face when, when I saw like just um, Dodo get out, I was kind of like, oh, there's just two of them. Like it, that seems so rare in this era. No, very much so. It's And it's interesting because even when it was just Stephen and Dodo, that was rare to just have two companions. Because, you know, before that, it was always three. And you didn't get three until Jamie joined the crew in the second Doctor era, and that was very short-lived. And then it pretty much was standard two, and then finally one until, you know, Adric joined. well he gets i mean we take it you know we take it like wow you know these stories it must be so difficult to 
to to try to make sure that everybody's got equal time, et cetera, et cetera. But back then they didn't know any different. They were just kind of like, yeah, that's what we just normally have this many people. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it, I mean, sometimes they still find difficulty, uh, have difficulty with finding something to do. I think in this one with Ben and Polly, it's pretty easier. It's a lot easier because they're already like, like they're part of the story because they're not yet companions. Also, the, so, the thing to think about is that this time, Doctor Who recorded for basically 48 weeks of the year. So they couldn't really get through that with one or two companions. Um, they needed to kind of distribute the load and allow for everyone to have a week off here and there. So having a more crowded TARDIS really helped back then. Yeah, it's true. You're right. Uh, I can several of the early ones that we've done it seems like there's always one like one companion missing from one of the stories uh, from one, like one episode or one chapter of the story because either they were sick or they were on vacation or this, that, and the other thing. So yeah, it seemed like there was, they always needed to have, make sure that there was someone around to pick up the slack really. Right. Yeah. And, and Ben and Polly are good here. I mean, I like, even though I was griping about Ben earlier, I actually like Ben. I like Ben and Polly. They're, they're good, strong characters, and, and they're definitely a part of the story. They help to carry it along. I think one of the weaknesses of the episode is that a lot of the secondary characters are not developed. So they, they become a bit character, uh, of caricatures, and you just don't get, really get to know them. But Ben and Polly are great here. I mean, I really enjoy yeah. them. And I think, uh, you know, I know that it's difficult when your main bad guy is, a, you know, an AI or a machine. So it's kind of not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of personality you can develop there. But I know that um, I've seen John Harvey in a few other things. And I know that he's like capable of like really amazing, like especially bad guy performances. And I kind of when I first saw him, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. He's just going to chew scenery up. And, and he he doesn't really. He kind of as a matter of fact, I think he kind of disappears for like the third episode, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, ju- and then really just briefly that. at the end of the fourth. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of, I was kind of disappointed. Yeah, because then he just kind of wakes up and is like, "What happened?" Um, but well, he uh, has kind of a thankless role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. They all kind of do in that. In that, uh, it's much more dynamic in the first episode when they're all kind of, you know, fighting each other, or there's there's some drama there between them. But once they're all in, you know, taken over. Then they're 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 you know kind of just simple one dimensional stories uh, characters there. You mentioned uh, how the the enemy is fundamentally an AI, and one thing I always thought was so cool about this story was the notion of a network of computers across the world. So you know this is 1966. Yeah. The kind of genesis of the ideas that would eventually become the internet, things like the NPL network. Uh, etc were really in their infancy they they existed but they weren't widely known about at this time so this was really cutting edge from a technology perspective and that's so cool yeah the fact that you could have this network that ties in the white house and uh, london and all these points over the world is just like i mean we take it for granted now but back then it was like this is this is something that we don't have you know what's really funny though is Wotan probably had as much memory as my calculator sitting here on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> <It's that. laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love the first scene of the, the, the typewriter and the teletype. Where he can only where the doctor asks, asks him the square root. Asks them. Oh, yeah, when he asks him the square root, and he, they have to, we have to wait. Doody, doody, doody. The dot matrix printer. Still, it's typed out. Oh, dude. I have stories of having to write papers and having to have that printed out like that in college and stuff. But that was actually like, that was a cool scene because the doctor asks about the square root, which I thought, well, that's kind of a boring question. And he's like, you know, he figures it out in his head and he's like, oh yeah, he's, he's right. And then Dodo goes <laughs> like, she's like, I'll challenge this thing. And she, her question is, what's the TARDIS? <laughs> You're thinking, wow, that's like, that's pretty ballsy for a companion to do. And when it, when Wotan answers, it's just even more striking. Um, and that should have been like red flags all over the place <laughs> right there. The doctor should have been like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Exactly. It's like, um, hold it. How did you know it stands for, you know, time and relatively dimension? It's just like, it's just like, uh, why? You know? Yeah. I mean, he, he does say like, how did you know that? And, uh, but he, yeah, it, it never follows up with, that's why I really thought there was some other menace there, but nope. I mean, he's already suspicious of the thing at that point, And, uh, I think that just kind of enhances it and, makes him certain he has to go and investigate yeah because he's like right when they get there he's like his doctor sense is going off because he says he says and this is another thing he says um he says i feel i sense something that i haven't felt on this planet since like the dalek invasion noto's like the what and he's like never mind um but um but i'm like oh so we're like getting like dalek tie-ins here but it just it, like I said, I was. It kind of raised the first episode. Kind of raised my expectations for a, like a third act that never came for me. No, understandable. It's just like you expected more, and I didn't expect Wotan to be taken out by the rogue robot. <laughs> I was like, how did they get upstairs? Like Daleks get upstairs <laughs> at this point. Elevators, right? dude. Hello. <laughs> I mean that. Please. Please push the seventy fifth floor. <laughs> yeah, because I can't imagine it taking its hammer and trying to press the elevator. And, and I love it was like when the people were fighting the war machines and smoke was coming out of the guns and it was supposed to be killing them. It's like what? Yeah, that that was pretty lame. But you know mm-hmm. what they could, what they had. No, and, you know, it's just like, why can't you just push that machine over? It looked like it was very easy to tip. And it it was just like, uh, I was just like, there was, you know, they were the weak part for me. And I did, though, you know, it was enjoyable and it moved, you know, like you said, through the first two episodes and then. There were things in it, but I like a lot of the scenes, like with the soldiers and everything, because I said, all right, which one of them is the brigadier? You know, which one is he going to be? Where's Benton? Where's, you know, and so it's just. I I think one thing on this is maybe the pacing's a little off, you know, those first two episodes, it's like it's a breakneck pace and then suddenly we get two episodes of padding with war machines knocking over boxes. 
I wonder if those first two episodes could have been paced maybe a little slower and we could have had less padding in the latter two episodes. Yeah, well, this, I mean, this happens a lot in classic Doctor Who where it's, it's, they're just trying to fill time. Yeah, and, and it's, it's so easy to be an armchair critic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, hello, know, have you listened to a podcast lately? <laughs> hello, you know, it pro- this probably would have worked a lot better as a two parter, but they had to fill a four parter. Right. I was just hoping when I picked up the box and was about putting it in, please don't say it's a six parter. Please don't say it's a six parter. <laughs> so at least it wasn't. And, you know, I, you know, I had fun with it and it was a great introduction to new companions. So there you go. All right. Any final thoughts before we go ahead and rate this? Well, okay. One out of five TARDISes, one being the worst, five being the best. Anthony, you're the first. Uh, four. Hey, this one's just a, a really great late Hartnell story that moves at a good pace and, and sets a tone that will be prevalent through the show for years to come. I, I think it's fantastic. I got to agree with that. All right, Mary. I think three. I mean, this one's just kind of, I mean, the first, it's like the first parts, the first two are maybe a four and and the last two are maybe a two. (laughs) So I'm going to average it out as a three. I mean, it's kind of a pedestrian story and I think it suffers from being dated because even though at the time this was more innovative, um, you know, it's basically the arrogance of the science scientist who didn't consider the consequences of his technology, creating his technology. It's fake science, man. But, you know, it's not really, it's not, there's no depth to this story. There's no depth to the secondary characters, but it moves along at a fun pace for the first two. And it's a great performance by William Hartnell. It's actually a good introduction for Ben and Polly and a a bad, a bad way to lose Dodo. But she wasn't a huge loss, to be honest. Um, No. So, so yeah, I'm just going to kind of give it middle of the road three. Okay. No, I love it when they were going to try to kidnap the doctor and they even had the chloroform. (laughs) (laughs) He gets in the cab and. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was expecting them by accident. I was fully expecting them to grab that guy who came out of the cab. (laughs) hey we got the doctor for you (laughs) that is not the doctor who that is not doctor who (laughs) yeah exactly all right mikey um i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a three as well um i i I, like i said I, i think the the first episode kind of uh in my head promised me things that i just uh didn't didn't get delivered but um uh, i did like uh the performance of hartnell like you guys have said that this is like i said we don't see enough of him and uh, uh we haven't seen or i should say i haven't seen enough of him i think i've seen uh, uh, quite a number of his stories but there's still so many more to see and he's you know he's really really good i mean you know he's the guy that set the tone for everybody and um uh, and i just uh i love it when he has like honest to goodness doctor moments that you're just like, Whoa, this is why, you know, the franchise started uh, because of this guy. 
And, uh, and I, you know, the fact that it's, um, you know, um, we're seeing the companion go and a couple of companions come, that always makes it a little bit more interesting. Uh, I think as far as, uh, certainly as far as the, the, the franchise goes, uh, to experience that. Um, I like Ben and Polly. All right. I think I've seen, uh, uh, well, I've seen a couple of other stories with them where I, I wasn't as impressed with them, but I do, uh, like their introduction for the most part here. And, uh, yeah, I think I just was disappointed, like I said, by the, the third act, the fact that, um, uh, it wasn't as, uh, Maybe that I was waiting for something else that, like I said, another shooter drop. Plus, I just thought the bad guys were not like as cool as I would one but see. So, no, you were hoping to see, you know, if it was modern, who the master would have been behind it, or you know, the Daleks or the Cybermen or something like that. Well, I wasn't like, I, look, I mean, I I like, I actually, I really do like stories where they don't have to rely or as a crutch on the big bads. Um, I, I like stories where, you know, um, that they, that they just have these little threats that, um, you know, are, are pretty, like, obviously if you're setting up a, a network that's going to go across the globe, there's, (laughs) I know when they were like, well, we don't know what this could do, but we're just going to connect it, all these things to it. And it's going to be great. We're going to let it run things. And I'm like, really? Like, (laughs) it's like, that seems kind of bold. Um, But uh, um, uh, yeah, so I kind of like the idea that they kind of set something up to say like, okay, now every machine story doesn't have to be a Dalek story. Um, But this is, like I said, a a pale imitation uh, of of a Dalek, really. And uh, I just was hoping for better. I think the problem was... the. The story could have been better if, if when, when you have something like a computer or some sort of disembodied, you know, thing as, as the villain, well, then it's hard to give them personality. So usually what you do is you have a secondary character right. who, who's like the sidekick, who, who he's the one who does all the machinations and, you know, he's the one who kind of drives the story for the villain. And that didn't happen because they hypnotized Professor Brett. And it would have been more interesting if they had made him be serving Wotan willingly for whatever reason. He'd gone mad or he just hated the world or whatever it was. You know, then he, or he was just having a bad day, you know. Right, right. He could have just, then he could have really had fun. And yeah. Or if he had like a legit reason, like computers should run things because humans just muck up everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, you like taking just that taking that to the extreme. Places. But yeah, and like I said, I like I like that actor a lot. So I was kind of hoping for more. But uh, no, I mean, like I said, it's not. It's I'm not like you know crapping on it. It's it's a it's it did move for me. I don't. I didn't feel like it dragged terribly uh, throughout uh, the whole story, and uh, it was cool. Nope, agreed. All right, I'm going to give this one a four. Also, I enjoyed it as far as first Doctor era. I think it's probably one of my favorites. And I think, you know, this had some great Hartnell moments in it. And I thought, you know, blueprints everywhere. There was just like, this could be this, this could be this and this and this that's coming up. And, you know, 
how exciting for people in 1966 to kn- to not know what was coming forward that this was laying the groundwork for it and you know within a couple of years you were going to have you know invasion you were going to have you know the you know yeti in the sewers you were going to have so much cool stuff coming to you and this all laid the groundwork for it and it was it was just a lot of fun and you know i like it i'm actually probably going to watch it again fairly soon so you know that's how much i enjoyed it you and i are on the same page mike yeah well you're gonna have to for your podcast (laughs) true so but yeah that's you know it's definitely this was you know a lot of hartnell sometimes the doctor was hard to like and you know there were episodes in the Hartnell era where I can't believe this is the same character I'm watching 50 years later. It's just not, it's not, it doesn't feel like even the same show. The only thing that is the same at all is the police box, you know, and not even, you know, but the character itself who was supposed to be this character that you were supposed to be rooting for or helping, you know, hoping could save the day. There were times in his era where I could care less. Particularly and, the first season. Oh, exactly. He was completely unlikable the first season. Hell, in the first storyline, he was going to kill, you know, a caveman with a, a rock. And he also was going to leave the companions in the Stone Age. You know, Ian and Barbara and just take Susan and leave them and go wherever and start over again. This was just not a likable person. And, you know, this, in this story, he was the doctor all the way through. And, you know, definitely recommend this for folks. And I know you can you know, find it on disc on our Amazon site. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun definitely worth picking up and i know a few of you've watched it through britbox and such because it's available there too so definitely check it out it's definitely worth seeing but we definitely want to hear from you guys at home please write us at eswpodcast at gmail.com all right that is going to wrap up our episode for this week want to thank everybody for joining us Anthony, you want to plug your podcast? Yes. So once again, you can find us at Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Watchers 4D. Um, and we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who, starting with the very first serial, An Unearthly Child, right through to wherever it is by the time we get there. So right now, that would be Resolution. And who knows where that will be in about eight years' time. Um Oh, please let there be new Doctor Who before then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so right now we're up to uh, uh, the Keys of Marinus. The Aztecs is coming soon. And uh, yeah, check us out. It's definitely worth checking out, folks. I've listened to the first two episodes. Total thumbs up. So definitely, you know, you guys have a good chemistry. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. And I think we only get better as we go along. That's even better. And let's thank our regulars for being here. Of course, Miss Mary Ogle. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a fun classic episode to watch. And if anyone's it, uh, looking for me, it's maryogle.com or on Etsy at eVisionArts. Excellent, excellent. And Mr. Mike. 
As always, it's my pleasure. Excellent. And, you know, thank you guys for at home continuing listening. If we got new listeners from being over at South Carolina Comic-Con, welcome to the show. Hope you guys enjoyed. And, you know, for all our old time folks, please, you know, continue, rate us, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors if they have any interest in Doctor Who, we got some great things coming. And speaking of great things coming, we have next week a really interesting episode coming up. We are going to be doing not an episode review. We're going to actually have a Doctor Who discussion. We're basically, you know, going to be talking about is Doctor Who turning into a super feminist doctor show? I think that will be an interesting discussion. And a lot of people brought that up, especially after what Chris Chibnall did this last season. And I'm really interested to find out what people think, because some people think it even moved in, started in the Moffat era. So I'm very, could be very curious to see what our guests think. And we got a great crew lined up. So until then, my name is Mike Faber, and we will see you here next time on your station who podcast peace and we're done Ta-da. you have been listening to earth station who a bi-weekly pop culture podcast dedicated to all things doctor who featuring talents from across the universe all topics on the show are the sole opinions of the individual and are used for entertainment value alone you subscribe to our podcast up on itunes stitcher or follow our blog at www.esopodcast.com. You can also follow us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. If you enjoyed the show, please leave feedback up on iTunes. Are you looking for a podcast that's a little bit out of the ordinary, a little bit crazy, and a little bit on the rambunctious side? Well, if I got something for you, it's called Vitamin Geek Podcast. My name's Corey Keelan. I'm the host and creator of Vitamin Geek Podcast, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my show. Each episode, I'm coming to you with whatever I think is important at the time. Maybe it's a new movie. Maybe it's a comic book. Maybe it's horror. Maybe it's drag queens. Who knows? I love to talk, and I'd just love to get you guys involved in the conversation. I invite you all to check out my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash vitamingeekpodcast. I would love to hear your feedback. So please join me and check us out here, Vitamin Geek Podcast, here on the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.